we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to the universe next door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. This show is a ministry of the C.S. Lewis Society and supported by gifts of listeners just like you. Join us as we seek to see a generation captivated and transformed by the truth of Christianity. This is The Universe Next Door. Today, we are going to be journeying from uh, Egypt in the Exodus to Mount Sinai with Tim Mahoney, the Director of Patterns of Evidence. After this interview, you are going to feel as though you were actually there. That is one of our promises to you. And so uh, I can't think of anyone better. So we're bringing Tim Mahoney on. He's, he's made the pattern of Patterns of Evidence movies. If you haven't seen those, they are incredible. But don't worry. You can watch them after the interview. You don't have to see them to know what's going on. It helped, but you don't have to see them to know what's going on. So uh, he's going to get into that a little bit. And then we're also going to do a little bit of dissecting uh, in the area of evidence for a literal mass exodus, as we see in the Bible, that Moses actually led a huge group of Israelites from Egypt uh, in bondage out of there to Mount Sinai. And we're going to be looking at archaeological evidence, historical evidence, and even texts outside of the Bible. So obviously very exciting stuff. But before we do that, wherever you're listening right now on a phone, laptop, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever it is, just hit follow on your app so that way you're alerted of every new episode that comes out. It will help both us and you greatly. Uh, and we appreciate you taking the time to listen to The Universe Next Door. We hope it is as much as a blessing to you as it is to us. So anyway, this is a pretty in-depth interview. So let's get started on our journey through the Exodus. Timothy Mahoney is the founder of Thinking Man Films and the director of the Patterns of Evidence movies, including Exodus, The Moses Controversy, and the soon-to-be-released Journey to Mount Sinai, which will be in theaters October 17th and 18th. Tim Mahoney, how are you today? Hey, thank you for having me on your program today, Nick. Absolutely. We've been excited, and what you what you do is right up our alley. The movies you've made are just mind-blowing, filled with evidence and different views and stuff, so uh, thank you so much for coming on. Well, I... I um I didn't know that I would be so interested in apologetics myself, uh, but um, it's great to be with like-minded people. It's good to be with thinkers, and you know, as uh, you mentioned, our company's name is Thinking Man Films, and so I think in this time, it's really important for people to be thinking. Yeah, I, we could not agree more. And actually, I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking I love how you express your views uh, of biblical events in your movies, uh, but you also include other scholars in their views. So it's not a bias where you're just strawmanning anyone's position. You're actually having others on, like Egyptologist David Rawl, for example. Uh, and I think that really fits the the thinking man motto uh, that you have going on there. It, it's like you're presenting solid evidence and convincing arguments, but you're doing it in a fair way. I think that, um, especially for, let's just say for each of us, uh, uh, it's important that we own what we believe. And uh, early on, I came to understand that if you had multiple viewpoints, you know, let's say even a, like opposing viewpoints or different viewpoints, if you were able to incorporate all those into the discussion of trying to, you know, understand where do we come from and uh, is did the events of the Bible really happen? And if you listen to those arguments and try to 
try to follow them to the source of, of how they were created, uh, it then frees you up to make a decision about, you know, how strongly on how much weight should you put on those arguments. And early on, I was told there was no evidence for the Bible. And that literally, while I was a filmmaker in my 40s, I had a crisis of faith making, you know, the very first film. And I could have possibly just fallen off and we wouldn't be talking here today had I not basically uh, gone down, had to make a decision to go down that path and to really search for a pattern of evidence. But that was, I think there was God's providence in it. I believe that um, when I was searching for the answers, I had this crisis and then that led me on the journey that I've now taken many people uh, to look for this pattern of evidence. And what we did find is an amazing pattern of evidence that matches the biblical narrative. Yeah, and you've done a wonderful uh, job demonstrating that. It's funny, when I was a new believer, I remember people didn't want to read books by Richard Dawkins and atheists and that kind of thing because they said, well, we don't want to push anybody away. And I just thought, well, if there's something untrue about the Bible, I want to know. I don't don't want to have a pretend faith. And so I kind of had a similar thing where I just wanted to dig deeper and and if Christianity is true, I wanted to be able to demonstrate and understand that it was true. And so I, I think you've done a great job with that in your films. And, and not only that, but you've you've taken a lot of topics that can be very academic-like in nature, uh, especially when you think of all the ancient town names and locations and all of that uh, in the Old Testament. But you've, you've taken those things and you've made films that not only have awesome visuals and maps and, and you actually visit some of these locations, but it's also interactive and it includes a scorecard for people to keep, which is, which is really cool. Can you, uh, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. When we were, when this next film coming out, Journey to Mount Sinai, it's going to be in theaters, as we said, October 17th and 18th. And it's nationwide, and you can go to patternsofevidence.com to find tickets. And uh, I'm going to talk about this scorecard. I was thinking and, and literally praying about what, to, you know, what would be the right way because there's so much information. So we created this, this uh, scorecard uh, that you can download on our site at Patterns of Evidence. And before you do the scorecard, what, is, what are we scoring is six different mountains. We're going to be looking at six different mountains in this investigation. And we give you the investigation criteria. And all of our films have a pattern that we're searching for. And this one, it's the, it's the journey to the mountain is one step. And within that journey to the mountain step, there are campsites, wildernesses, and travel time. And so if, as you're looking for the departure of the Israelites and you think about, well, how much... Um, ground could they cover in a day? Because the Bible says that it, it was like in the uh, third month that they reached Mount Sinai. So the question would be is, was how, how, much, how much distance would, would you cover with a group of people and how far could you go? So that, that's one of the criteria, as well as are there evidences for wildernesses and campsites that are mentioned in the Bible? And what are those histories related to those wildernesses? And then we've got another one called Midian. It says Moses fled to the land of Midian. And so, you know, we talk about, we actually have a map also that downloads. And you can look at this map uh, here. And, and we're, we're searching for these different areas. And we've got the different, uh, different campsites involved and the six different mountains that we're looking at. So the viewer is going to be able to, uh, in the first film, go to three of the mountains, which is right here, these first three. And they're going to be able to judge it. Yes, maybe no for the evidence, which uh, really became a, a great tool to sort of 
give you an opportunity because it's going to be hard to re for sometimes remember all the details. But now you're going to be able to score them with these different uh, attributes uh, and artifacts and um, backside of wilderness. These are different steps that we're going to be investigating, and that's what I think is different. I don't know that there's been too many films that have actually had a a, a interactive scorecard. You can go to the theater and watch this, and go with your friends or your Bible study or or Sunday school and um, and bring this along, and then see how you all score it. See if you're compelled with this evidence. And as we said, hearing multiple viewpoints, is there a pattern of evidence that fits what the Bible is telling us uh, about where Mount Sinai would be? Yeah, that's a really unique way to go about that. Uh, and, and what I'm thinking is like, while I'm watching you go to these different places and talk about all these different options, do you have a favorite place that you visited, like that one that just stands out more than all the others in terms of uh, Old Testament locations? Well, when I began this investigation, I was familiar with uh, a place called Jebel Alaz. And uh, I probably could have made a film about Jebel Alaz literally 17, 16 years ago, but I didn't. Uh, I just, it didn't seem like uh, that was the right time. And I wanted to be fair to the investigation. And so I spent uh, quite a bit of time going to other locations as much as we could. Some of them are very difficult to get to because they're dangerous locations uh, because of uh, just the part of the world that they're in to, to get to or more difficult to get to. And some people have never been able to get to these locations. They're not allowed to. So um, we've been able to find ways to, to get people and get the photography. And uh, I actually went to Jebel Laws in 2003 so I had always been interested in that particular mountain in Saudi Arabia. I was one of the few people that were able to go there, uh, you know, legally. A lot of people tried to sneak in there, but I went legally. Uh, and this film, in the very beginning, I don't think this is a spoiler alert, I'm challenged then to basically be more fair and look at different mountains. And that's why we came up with the scorecard and said, well, let's look at six different potential Mount Sinai's. Now, there are many other Mount Sinai's that people have suggested. But when you do it, when, when I do an investigation, I always like to basically say, well, let's go with, let's see what the Bible says. Let, let's let the Bible be the guide. And that's where we came up with these different steps from the journey of the mountain, Midian, uh, the backside of the wilderness is another clue. And then uh, we have uh, uh, attributes of the mountain as well as artifacts at the mountain. And that's what we're looking for in, in this first film, which is, like I said, coming out October 17th and 18th. And it's really important, if you want to see these kinds of investigative films, to have the support in the theaters to get people out there. And afterwards, we're going to have a panel discussion as well uh, with uh, three uh, Bible teachers and scholars as to what does this really mean? You know, you can look at this evidence, but then, well, how do I apply it to my own life and what can I learn from it? And that's also an added value that we have uh, at the uh, on October seventeenth and eighteenth. Yeah, that's going to be really awesome. I didn't know about the panel, so that's exciting too. Uh, now you mentioned that there's there's six main locations. Of course, I think the one in Southern Sinai Pencil is uh, that's like traditionally the most popular. I think, but you challenge that in the movie. Uh, I don't want to give away too much here, but why do you think the other five locations haven't been studied and examined and, and talked about more? Uh, than they have. Well, you have to uh, look at history. These areas have been hard to get to at. Uh, 
you know, uh, there's a period of time when, when these areas have been contested by w- war. Uh, then there's, uh, some of them are in Saudi Arabia, which uh, being a Westerner, people couldn't get there very easily. They weren't allowed to go there. Then there's tradition. You've got the whole issue of tradition uh, where uh, there's a strong uh, understanding by the Catholic Church that the traditional Mount Sinai is where Mount Sinai was. And so anything that you would speak against that or suggest some other location, you know, might be contradictory to church tradition. So there's just a lot of reasons why uh, it's been difficult, or maybe people didn't think there was a need to look for another location. Uh, But what happened was, uh, which we talk a little bit about, is that when the Israelis gained control, I think uh, after the war, they scoured that area for evidence of the Exodus, and they didn't find any evidence. And that's when, uh, during this period of time, when there's been a lot of criticism uh, against the Bible, and I know your audience is probably quite familiar with biblical criticism in different areas of creation or in um, uh, all sorts of other potential historical um, credibilities. And that goes back to what our other films have been looking at is, can you find a pattern in, the, in it. So the question is, is, am I looking at the right time in history for biblical evidence, or, or am I looking in the right place? And that's what these, these films explore. And um, so the question is, is well, why, why, why didn't people look at other places? I think there was thinking that there was traditions there. And if we go back, we start to see that, that some locations, as for example in Saudi Arabia, there was uh, people called that the Mountain of Moses uh, uh, for a long time. And so hmm. they, their culture believed that that was where Mos, Moses was. Our culture believed that possibly it was in the traditional location at the Sinai Peninsula. So um, so that there's uh, that's why this, these films are somewhat opening up what happened and, and how do we get there and how, you know, uh, what evidence can we see? And I, th- I like that. And I think as a person of faith, if we can own our faith because we're asking questions, and we're not going to get answers for everything. I've been, I'm aware of that, and, and uh, I believe the Bible because I believe that it's true, because it is divinely inspired. I don't have a problem with that. But I think my calling uh, has been to facilitate looking for patterns because uh, there, there are patterns that haven't been actually shown to people. And once we show them, it does help those doubting Thomases uh, with their faith. And they go, wow, there is a pattern here. And, and we see pattern after pattern after pattern. That's what I'm showing in these films. Yeah, that is so cool. Uh, and, and like I said, I don't want to give away too much. This movie's dropping next month, October 17th and 18th. I'll put the stuff in the description where you can uh, you can buy the movie tickets and everything. It's going to be really cool, and especially watching this on a big screen. Um, but with that being said, you've also done a lot of work on the exodus out of Egypt. Uh, and so it's become fairly common for some scholars and, of course, internet atheists, for those of you who are familiar, uh, to say that there isn't any evidence for a large exodus out of Egypt. It's just myth. Does this view, does it pose any real challenges? And how would you respond to somebody saying that there is no uh, evidence for an exodus out of Egypt? Well, uh, there's tremendous, if you look at the first film, uh, two, two, two of the first films that we made, uh, the Exodus film, shows that 
that uh, Egypt actually, of their own accord, Egypt actually collapses uh, be, uh, between uh, the Middle Kingdom and there's a period of darkness. And that's when this other group comes into Egypt uh, and they take over. Uh, I, th- I believe that uh, if you watch our first film, Patterns of Evidence of the Exodus, you're going to see that there was, there's this document called the Ippor Papyrus, or the Admonitions of an Egyptian Sage, which actually mirrors the events of the plagues. Uh, but it's an Egyptian that's writing about this. And um, uh, we, we, sh- we talk about that in the film. And then after that, it says that God smote us. There's another quote that said, God smote us. Not the gods, but God smote us. And then there's this collapse of Egypt where they, they no longer are this mighty power. And, uh, but the reason why no one has ever... Uh, the mainstream scholars haven't uh, haven't adopted to it is because of what I call the Ramesses Exodus theory. They're they're basically pinning the events of the Bible to the city of Ramesses, and what these other scholars were showing me, and which I show in the film, is that it's the location of Ramesses, but underneath this city of Ramesses is another city, same place, different time period, called Avaris. And so what we're seeing and what we believe happening, in fact, even the book of Genesis says that Joseph's family went to the city of Ram, or went to the area of Ramesses, the lands of Ramesses. Well, guess what? That's not possible because Ramesses hadn't been born yet. What they were trying to give the reader was an idea of what location it was. And everyone knew that that location was Ramesses. So Ramesses, the name Ramesses uh, is both a location for the city, as well as a time period. And what we think was happening is that the Israelites were there earlier, and no one uh, was looking earlier. But um, uh, then other scholars, and Egyptologist David Roll, who's been in our films quite a bit, started to see a pattern of evidence earlier, and that when you move things earlier uh, in time, by the way, the, it's not earlier in the Bible timeline, it's that his argument has been that Egypt's timeline is off and that it's shifted improperly. And, and, uh, and that is what we also show in, in the first film, that there's gaps within all the other ancient civilizations around Egypt because they don't have that gap. But if you slide things down and we recorrect uh, the Egyptian timeline, which nobody wants to do, uh, because of all the history that's been behind establishing it there, because the, what you know, history is is what we interpret when it begins and when certain events happen, and then you try to synchronize those events. But if you go back, I challenge anyone to go back and start looking at the, how the dating and chronology came about. There's a great study for that. Uh, then you start to realize that that there are decisions that were made that, and we're going to bring it up in future films that. I think skewed um, the you know the 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 way the Bible was seen and evidence for the Bible. So a, a famous line is that the Bible was used to date Egyptian history, and then e- eventually Egyptian history was used to refute the Bible, because the synchronism of that dating uh, is another argument uh, was off, and so I'm exploring that synchronism of that dating in these films. And um, so I'm, I'm kind of going on and on and rambling here, but uh, uh, the, 
the point being that there's there are patterns of evidence then. If you basically say, well, what if we looked for patterns and we, we didn't think about dating for a minute? Could we find a pattern that matches the Bible? And yes, you can. And it's in Egyptians dating, it's a little bit earlier. And the Bible time, it has it here. But if you were to put those together, uh, they, would, they would come together and you would see uh, the pattern. Yeah, so that's, that's incredibly interesting, especially that idea of compressing the timeline, which many people don't think about. Um, and, and on that question, what's your view on the number of Israelites in the Exodus? So it seems that the two most popular views are, are very different. It's either there were around 2 million, including women and children, or there were around 30,000. In the actual recording in the book of Exodus, the literal number is 600,000, at least that's how many interpret it. Uh, of course, some would argue that the smaller Exodus view would contradict the integrity of Scripture, but then others would argue that biblical numerology is used in different ways, and, and the authors would also often use large numbers to prove a certain point, not to mention fitting them, that whole two million uh, population in, in certain places. So where do you fall in this argument and why? Well, there's um, uh, uh, well, we actually wrote a book uh, on this, uh, which is still available online. We haven't reprinted it, but it's called A Filmmaker's Journey, and we talk about the population on that. But the Bible says there were 650,000 men. And when it also took, uh, and, it's, and, and um, there's also uh, the word, I think it's called elaf. And uh, the question uh, is, what does, the, what does that word mean? Does it mean group or does it mean um, a tribe? And, and, I, and, I, and I think that um, I believe and this is the hard part, too, is that, there, that if the Bible says there, there, there are that many men, and there are other synchronisms that basically point to that that's how many, when they took an offering, that's, how, that's how, what the size of the offering was, um, and that there were that many Israelites as well um, that were in the Exodus, uh, which means that there could be two to three million Israelites. Um, the, que- the question would be is, well, how could God sustain a people group that large? Uh, but if you look at, uh, I, I've looked at some different images, uh, and you, like National Mall, when they have a big event, and there'll be a million or two million people there, and you see how, how condensed they are in that mall. Uh, we've looked at different places in other parts of the world where we've seen uh, literally a million and a half people. And then, then once you realize that um, if you take the population, too, the other question would be is how long were the Israelites in Egypt? Uh, and my belief is that they weren't there 400 years, that they were from the time of the sojourn, from the time of Abraham's promise to the life of, of Isaac and the life of Jacob and then Joseph going in, I think it's closer to more like 230 years that they are in Egypt. But then the question is, is that, well, if this family came in at, at this amount of people, and what would the birth rate be of that group of people? If there were, you know, 60 to 80 people along with their servants and others that came along. So you start looking at birth rates, and um, you start to realize that, you know, just certain birth rates, mathematically speaking, over this period of time, you're going to end up with uh, a large population. Uh it doesn't make sense if the Israelites were in Egypt. The question would be is, is uh, if they had the number of people that they had and they were there for 400 years, that population, th- those are the ways you can kind of 
take the lens and turn it around and look for the, those numbers. So what do I think is, uh, I think that that the biblical account is telling us that there were 650,000 men. And uh, that, so I'm going with that. I'm going with what the biblical account is claiming. Uh, and then the hard part is faith, is, well, how would God sustain such a large group of people? And, um, you know, then, then it would be, uh, if, if you should also then ask, well, how many Egyptians were there in Egypt at that time? You know, what do they think? Because the, another part of this is, I've heard as little as there might be five, I've heard as little as, as a few hundred Israelites, literally, on some of my interviews. Um, but mm. if there were 5,000 and there was a million uh, Egyptians or a million and a half Egyptians living at that time, why would they be concerned about 5,000 or, th- or 25 or 30,000 Israelites? But because they were afraid of them, they were afraid that they might join their allies. So those are the ways I think, uh, as an apologist or as a thinking person, you can kind of look at this different different lenses, looking forward and backward, to basically say, does this make sense for the biblical account? You you kind of touched on earlier, even from that secular recording, that collapse of Egypt. I mean, that wouldn't have happened from a very small number of Israelites leaving. Yes, and it happened because of the judgment of God, too. I mean, he would have destroyed their entire infrastructure. Mm. So what what in the world caused this uh, world-class civilization to collapse for for no reason at all? What happened? And there is in Egyptian documents that says God smote us. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're blowing me away with the information. And like I said, if you haven't seen these movies, go watch them. It just goes into detail on all of this. Um, but so with the large... With the large uh, population view, which I, I hold as well, what do you think the best evidence against a larger exodus would be? I, I know you've had a number of scholars on who disagree on different things. So what do you think would be the best argument against a large uh, exodus? Um, naturalistic uh, explanation that uh, God could not sustain that many people, that uh, there's a natural naturalistic sense of trying to understand how that many people could survive in the wilderness? Uh, wh- where would they get the water? Um, you know, and and I think that that the other argument is 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 that the population in in Israel during the time of the conquest do they see large numbers of people coming in? And what they'll say is that there's not necessarily a transfer. And this is very very important, Nick. That they'll say that. Uh, the reason why they don't think there was a conquest, because the two happened, Exodus, and then 40 years later, there's the conquest. And what they're going to say is that they don't see a change of culture uh, in, in, is, in Israel. They just see something that continued. And what does the Bible say, is that, and which is very interesting, it says that they're going to have vineyards they didn't plant, they're going to have houses that they didn't build. He's going, they're basically going to... Uh, the, he's going to drive out the people that were in that land, and they're going to take over. They're going to absorb those very properties that they uh, that were lived were, were lived in by someone else. That is one of the reasons why it's hard to see the conquest. The other part of it is cities that were burned. And if you look in our film on the Exodus, uh, you'll see that there was a series of cities that were burned. 
and but they all happened earlier the time period that we're talking about no you also uh yeah this is just mind-blowing you you also went into this a little bit and i thought it was interesting um, but with manna, manna, of course, means what is it? And there's a naturalist view of manna where it was something produced from from bug excrement, many think. And I've heard a couple other theories, all the way from bug excrement to crazy psychedelic mushrooms. So that people people can insert all kinds of opinions there. But then there's also the miraculous view that I think seems to be the straightforward interpretation, which is that God provided food for them that doesn't have a naturalistic explanation. So where do you fall on that? Yeah, I, I believe that um, that it was a supernatural pro- provision, and I mean, I've asked the question too. Um, you know, when you look at the fact that I think in the New Testament it also communicates that uh, God was doing something with this manna that He was providing. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was given from heaven, and um, God was doing something incredibly important and special at this time. He was taking and fulfilling his promise to Abraham. And that promise to Abraham uh, actually is a promise to us as well, because we are a part of the beneficiaries of the fact that God chose Abraham. He said, you know, you know, through your, through your seed, I'm going to bless all nations. And you and I come out of those all nations part of it. But at Mount Sinai is when you know, he takes the people of Israel and he makes them from a from tribes into a nation, a people, and they are Israel, and they and they make a covenant, and God actually uh, makes these covenants, and that's a whole other. There's a whole other component here that I think your audience would be very interested in, is that a number of our relationships with God are legal agreements. And uh, what happened at Mount Sinai was another spiritual but yet legal agreement that they would become his people. And there were, there were blessings written in the agreement and there were curses written in the agreement. And these agreements then are repeated um, uh, or renewed, you know, uh, at, when they go into the promised land too. There, there's another renewal of this agreement. And so... Uh, where people are are basically saying we're going to do what what we're supposed to be doing, and so these covenants, these legal agreements, I don't think people realize it, but I'm going to looking at making another film that that is going to show that we're actually under a we're, we're within a God of the universe, and I think what is your your podcast, the universe next door? Yeah, um, you know, in this universe there are laws. And the giving of the law from a spiritual standpoint, the laws between man and, you know, man to man, person to person, and between man and God are given at Mount Sinai. And very significant laws of which, uh, you know, nations have been, have built uh, morality upon. And I don't, I think there's something very, very unique about what's happening at Mount Sinai because we're starting to understand that when they say Moses is the lawgiver, and I think if you go to the Supreme Court, you're gonna, you'll see Moses with the, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. But he was given the, those laws from God. Because God, if we look at science, if we look at uh, uh, law, and we look at spiritual law, there are laws that we're all operating within, whether we, whether we appreciate it or not. The law of gravity, um, there's just, there's, uh, uh, I'm, 
trying to think of different types of laws that there are. Entropy, is it called? Um, and, and all these different laws. Mm-hmm. We are living in a, a, a world that eventually that law is uh, that we're living under the law of sin and the power of death. And that's the reason why we have this broader story of God's salvation plan. And, uh, you know, the fall in the Garden of Eden, we broke his law, and then we needed to have a covering or a forgiveness of that. And that's what ended up coming with the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, it says there's no forgiveness of sin. So a lot of things are going to be happening at Mount Sinai leading up to, you know, going to there, and they're going to meet God, and they're going to make another legal agreement. Wow. Now, what would you say to somebody who, like, so let's say we're thinking about this large number number of people going from Egypt to Sinai, and of course they traveled uh, a long way to get there, and, and you go th- and do an excellent job in that in both of the movies that I've seen. Uh, but w- when somebody says something like, why don't we see more pottery? Why don't we see more stuff left behind? Like, why isn't there more, why isn't there more evidence of such a large group leaving? Well, first of all, I don't know if you've ever lifted a clay pot, but I have some clay pots uh, around here uh, that I've, I've used in our films, and they weigh an awful lot. So what people use to transfer when they're traveling in the desert is you don't want that weight. Uh, you're going to carry water in, uh, in water skins. Uh, uh, you're going to carry them in animal skins and things like that. You're going to go from watering hole to watering hole. Uh, the Israelites were not... So if you think about what footprint would the Israelites have left, that footprint would have to have been... Um, I mean, the only thing that they would have had would be their waste. Uh, you know, how much uh, waste did they leave behind? And, and I, I know and I've heard some people talk about uh, satellite spectrum type photography where they could see a path, uh, you, know, patent, you know, down where, where people traveled or whatever. Uh, the question would be, uh, what evidence would you expect if the Israelites are traveling from Egypt to Mount Sinai and then to the Promised Land? Um, uh, what, what type of evidence could you find? Well, first of all, um, like I said, pots weren't going to necessarily be on the journey because they're traveling light. It says that they, they actually use these booths. They made little booths out of the local material and, and used the palm trees to cover them. Uh, and, and that's a Jewish, I think, Sukkoth is, uh, is when the booths were introduced too. Uh, so what what happens here is that there's not a lot that they'll leave. But then the question would be is, if we're going to look for where is Mount Sinai, what possibly would there be around the mountain and that could be? And that's where in this film, on the, on the checklist here, we're looking for, is there space, is there a large enough plain that the Israelites could have encamped? So when you're looking for the location... You have to basically look at the scriptures and say, well, is there water? Is there a plain? Is there a stream? It says there was a stream there where the Israelites washed their clothes, where they you know, uh, ground up the golden calf altar and they uh, uh, you know, put it in the stream and the people had to drink the water. And then there's a cave where uh, the prophet Elijah went. And um, so those types of things you need to look at as attributes of the mountain. There were other outside sources that said it was either the tallest mountain or in some cases says it was the lowest mountain. We didn't get too much into that, Nick. But then there's artifacts. It says there was an altar and pillars at the mountain, uh, that there would be a large encampment. So can we see encampment circles? 
golden calf worship. Is there anything connected to that? Are there inscriptions? And in this film, uh, the first film, and in the second film, you're going to see people talking about inscriptions near their mountain and that they see a connection either to the golden calf worship or manna, uh, and they're interpreting them a certain way. And they're saying that those inscriptions are are what is ca- are causing them to believe that they have found the true location of Mount Sinai. So those are some of the uh, clues that you know we're going to be looking for. Wow, that's that's a really good point that they wouldn't have taken a whole lot of inorganic things with them. They wouldn't have wanna wanted to lug around heavy pots and tools. Uh, and especially when you consider that they're they're leaving a land that's being destroyed by plagues and God opens the floodgates and they're like, see you later. So it's not like they have this big planned family move uh, that they're packing for and planning for. So that's really interesting. And especially the evidence around where they would have camped. Now, I wanted to ask you just on, I guess, either of the movies we've talked about. We've kind of talked about the, the Exodus and then we've also talked about Journey to Mount Sinai. What do you think was the the most difficult part of making those films did you run into any sort of danger over there or was there anything that was just like it was really hard to figure out the logistics of like what were some of the most difficult things about about creating those well um going uh into the middle east when i did i went uh in 2002 right after 9-11 so 9-11 for you know some of your audience they might have been you know uh just young children at that time. But 9-11, you know, going to Egypt and to other parts like Saudi Arabia, uh, that was a a more scary time to go uh, just because you just didn't know what you were getting yourself into or if people saw you as an American, what would happen. And uh, and so, yes, I had uh, concerns. And there was actually uh, a situation where uh, right before we got to where we were, uh, two people were were murdered. And um, uh, so there's an investigation going on. And so there's always a sense of, of caution and a sense of potential danger. And, you know, you're praying that you will be able to come home. Uh, and, um, and that happened uh, on multiple, you know, several times when I was there, I just felt, you know, that there was things to be careful of because we are being an American, being uh, uh, in that part of the world, uh, was not necessarily a safe place. Uh, but then there are other things that were happening which had to do with someone was telling me something in an interview, and I'm like, there's a sense that I had that I really need to pay attention to what they're saying. I don't know what this exactly means, but I think this is important. And sometimes I would get an interview like that, and somebody, have you ever put together a big puzzle and they got pieces everywhere? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have. And you find this piece, yeah, you find this piece of puzzle, and it's got a certain look to it, and a color, and you go, you know, uh, I think this belongs, and someone's over there on the other side of the puzzle, and it goes, I think this matches for over here. And had you not been putting and touching the different pieces of the puzzle, you wouldn't know that connection. Mm. Some pieces of that puzzle would come in, and we would, they would sit there for several years, you know, and then, all, uh, then I would remember, wait a minute, there's the piece here, and here's the piece here, and we put them together, you know, four, sometimes five, six years later, and then we had it. Then we started to see the pattern. 
Wow. And I didn't realize that, uh, I guess I hadn't put the clues together that you went right after 9-11. Um, with, with the danger in mind and the whole situation, what do you think it is that prompted you to just go ahead and do it, even knowing that there was uh, a chance of risking your life? Yeah. Uh, my wife and I talked about this, and we actually I actually recorded the conversation in a book. Uh, I think that I believe that it was something I was called to do. And I think that each one of us potentially has things we're called to do. And we have to make this decision. Are we going to follow through on it or not? Are we going to uh, just say, I don't think I can do that. And had we done that, I, you, know, you and I wouldn't have been here. Uh, that first film, uh, I thought it was a one-year project, and it ended up taking 12 years to make it. Mm. And, you know, you're eight, you're nine, you're ten. Year eleven, it just seemed like year year ten was a really different. Nine and ten were difficult years because it it could have just dissolved away, uh, but we had to stay with it. And I think there are uh, my encouragement to anyone is that if you feel that you're that God has given you a calling, and 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 um, I always try to share this verse, Ephesians two ten. You know, we're Christ's workmanship, and He's prepared good works for us to do before the beginning of time. It's paraphrasing it, but basically, when I heard that verse, my wife told it to me. I said, "You're kidding! God has actually gotten you know He has things that He wants us to do, and He you know made it clear. I mean, He He had a plan for us before time began because He He understands uh, the future, like this podcast that you're doing and these films I'm making. I think when you have a sense of direction." I do think that a lot of people might have things that they think they're supposed to be doing, but they keep telling themselves that they can't, or they don't know where to get started. And I think that, that that's common. And what you need to do is prayerfully write down what you think you're supposed to be doing, and then prayerfully try to make steps towards getting them done. And you have to eat the elephant like one piece at a time, like they say. And for me, it was, I went to a gravel pit in Minnesota here, uh, and I started filming this, this scholar. I paid for him to come over from Sweden, and we talked, and then I said, well, let's make a little demo. And, we, we you know, I'm in Minnesota. You know, there's 10,000 lakes here. I, how do I make it look like the desert? Well, there's a gravel pit here. It looked pretty real. And I put up a tent, and, and we filmed this scholar who'd been to Egypt and been to these places talking about it, and that created a demo of which then I was able to say, this is the type of film that we want to make about the Exodus. And that then inspired other people to come along and, and go for it. Wow, that's a really creative idea. That's really cool that it, it worked out. It definitely shows God's provision and his sovereignty. And when he has a plan, it's going to happen. So that's uh, I, I, for one, am glad that you took that route and, and listened to the Lord's calling because I've been blessed by, by your work. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you, just before we go, a question that's completely unrelated pretty much to what we've talked about, uh, but I only wanted to ask because I've seen it resurface a lot lately, both uh, views for and against it, but do you have an opinion on Ron Wyatt's uh, supposed Noah's Ark discovery? Do you have, uh, like, are there pros and cons? Do you lean one way or the other? Well, because of my approach... Um I think that the whole question of Noah's Ark is fascinating, and I believe at some time I'm going to be making a film about Noah's Ark. Cool. Uh, I'm going to be. Make, uh, I, I I just don't. I that's one of those things I have to figure out. 
when and how and what it's going to be. And what I would do is I would incorporate all, I would, it, my, my approach is to incorporate Ron Wyatt, uh, anybody who's discussed it, because I'm going to try to get the broad understanding as to what the ideas are. And we might even compare notes like we've done with Mount Sinai's is, you know, do a uh, Noah's Ark scorecard and, uh, and understand, okay, what evidences do we have? Where would we look? How do we go about doing this? And uh, so uh, uh, I actually have visited his widow, uh, Mary Nell, and, uh, and interviewed the, her at length about uh, Ron and about, you know, where he went. Just as I would go to Israel and in Israel, you know, and, and interview an Israeli or a um, a European scholar, an Egyptian Egyptologist, I would. So I want to try to hear from the different points of view, and um, uh, I found it uh, interesting. Uh, there, there was a piece of you know a ribbit or something that they showed me that I was intrigued by. So I think that. When you when you look at these different you know claims that people have, uh, I'm open to hearing about it, uh, asking others about it, and then uh, trying to investigate it and see is there anything to the to what they're suggesting? Is this a pattern of evidence that this is Noah's Ark? Uh, but to this date, um, I wish we had I, I, I wish we had a, a better. Um, Wish we had Noah's Ark and, and the Ark of the Covenant. That that would have been amazing if we did uh, to be able to try and um, you know bring more answers to it. But I think at the end of the day, even if the Ark was found, a lot of people would just uh, dismiss it because they would they wouldn't necessarily believe the story of the Ark anyway. They would probably just uh, um, just go on with their lives. Uh, but some people would, and I'll just share with you that. My own family, I have a brother-in-law uh, uh, who, when he was in college, uh, they were talking about Noah's Ark because a movie came out uh, about Noah's Ark. And w- when my brother-in-law heard that people were searching for the real Noah's Ark, uh, he ended up um, kind of in college, at, you know, in his fraternity. Uh, someone shared with him the gospel. And because of Noah's Ark, uh, conversation, it opened the door for him and the gospel. And then he came home and shared the gospel with his sisters, and they became believers, and I married his sister. And so it was this, you know, conversation about archaeology and Noah's Ark that ultimately led, I think, my wife uh, to a deeper understanding of who Christ was. And uh, so I think these investigative films about the Bible have a place and that's why it's important for people if they can come and support us making these types of films. We've got many more films that we know we can make, uh, that and we just need the support. So if your audience can show up uh, and uh, vote in a way, vote for these kinds of films in the theaters. We're going to be in theaters nationwide, over 750 theaters on October 17th and 18th. It helps to buy their tickets early because. We only have one showing, like uh, 17th or 18th, and there's well, that theater, once it fills up, we're not, no guarantee there'll be any more tickets left. And so um, oftentimes there's people think, well, I'll just buy it the day of. It really makes a difference if you can get there early and buy the tickets 
uh, you know, buy them ahead of time. It helps even opening up more theaters um, in the area or more screens in that theater. So, yeah. So mark your mark your schedules for what is it, October seventeenth and eighteenth? Because of course you can watch it later yep. on streaming or whatever. But I'm pretty sure you don't have a TV that's like thirty feet wide at home. So see it in the theaters. <laughs> it, it's just so much cooler. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'm going to be there. So I'll put the link in the description uh, below. So click that. I think it's Fathom Events it is. You can get tickets. So I'll, I'll put the description down there. And, and who knows? Maybe we can just continue to encourage these kind of movies. A similar thing happened with um, with uh, Max McLean's movie about C.S. Lewis, The Most Reluctant Convert. It went to theaters. It was supposed to be a couple days. And then they just kept extending it and extending it. So uh, these things can happen. And we can... Uh, I don't want to say demand, but we could certainly encourage the kind of content we want in theaters rivaling some stuff that's probably not so great for people to watch. So uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. And that's October 17th and 18th. What else do you have coming up? Well, I was going to say, uh, remember, they can go to our Patterns of Evidence site, watch the trailer. The trailers are there. We'll give you the links too. Nick, uh, and then they can download the scorecard with the whole sheet. Uh, they can be prepped for it. Uh, and like I said, this is possibly one of the first interactive films uh, that you can participate in. And uh, what's coming next is Journey to Mount Sinai 2 in the next year is what we're, we're working towards. So, uh, but yeah, and we're going to have a panel discussion, a very great panel discussion as to what does this mean for us, uh, this Journey to Mount Sinai, for our own lives today. Well, I know, what's, the, what's the practical sense of how to take it home? Awesome. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, and Tim Mahoney, thank you so much for joining us today on The Universe Next Door. Well, I'm glad to, to be here, uh, and I, I just never knew about The Universe Next Door, and now my mind is is uh, open to it. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go, and hopefully our audience will be open to patterns of evidence, some, some awesome stuff going on over there at Thinking Man Films. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Okay, thanks, Nick. Well, thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. Don't forget to check out those links in the description below. Uh, about more information for the Patterns of Evidence Journey to Mount Sinai movie that's going to be out next month. be awesome to see it in the theaters. And don't forget to hit follow wherever you listen to The Universe Next Door. That'll alert you of every episode every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And thank you so much for listening to The Universe Next Door. We'll see you back here next week.